Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. I want uh, you to open your Bibles just for a minute. If you can give me a few minutes, it's 11 o'clock. I'll rush as fast as I can. I just want to talk to you a little bit about the importance of leadership uh, from a Bible story in the book of Nehemiah. So if you go to Nehemiah, the first chapter, and we're going to begin uh, there just for a little bit this morning. Uh, again, the best word that defines leadership is influence. And you can have good influence on people. You can have bad influence on people. But, of course, being a believer, we should always uh, attain to, to um, being uh, positive in people's lives, uh, a good influence. Everybody say amen to that also. And in the book of Nehemiah, I want to begin reading. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible this morning just because of, or I'll, I'll use a couple different translations, but in uh, Nehemiah, the first chapter at the beginning, I just want to read the first verse, read it. It says, the words or the story of Nehemiah, the, sons, the son of uh, Hakaliah, uh, and the Bible says, in the month of Chislev, which was December, in the 20th year of the Persian king, as I was in the castle of Shushan, Hanani, one of my kinsmen, came with a certain man from Judah, and I asked them about the surviving Jews who had escaped exile and about Jerusalem. So here he is. I want to set the atmosphere of what was going on in Nehemiah's life at this point. This was in 40, 40, uh, 445 B.C. He was under King Xerxes, and he was, uh, we'll find out, he was the cupbearer to the king. But what I wanted to share was that at that point in Nehemiah's life, being a Jew, though he wasn't in his homeland, he had a very good life. It was, it, he was surrounded by power, prominence, prestige, and prosperity. That really was. I mean, he was the cupbearer to the king, which, which, which is something that you just didn't become. Uh, and so it was during those years of Ezra and Nehemiah, many of the exiled Jews found their way back to their homeland, back to Israel, and to the city of Jerusalem. But when they got there, things weren't, it was a war-torn country, things weren't like they thought it would be. The walls were torn down, the gates were burned, they were extremely vulnerable to be to uh, any attack of any armies on the outside of, of, that, uh, um, of that country. And so they were, they were in a place, it was, uh, Jerusalem's called the city of peace, and yet the city of peace reeked with helplessness and hopelessness. And yet, and there was no one willing to do anything about it until he, uh, Nehemiah asked the question, how are things going back home? How are the Jews doing back in our home country? And I always think about that. Have you ever asked a question you wish you wouldn't have asked it? Because everything at that point in his life was good. Everything was comfortable. Everything was uh, dandy. Prosperity, blessing for him. Not realizing that his people were suffering. They were hurting. They were in a place where they could easily be taken back captive by their enemies. Verse 3. They told me the exile survivors who are left there in the province are in bad shape. He said, how are things going? Well, the conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. And the city gates are still cindered. These precious exiles found themselves surrounded by devastation, demoralization. And though they had, listen, though they had the manpower to turn things around, they didn't have the willpower. And that's why they needed a leader in their lives. And that's how God got Nehemiah's attention. 
Somebody far away in another land, he said, I've got something for you to do. And what's awesome about it is that Nehemiah responded. Verse 4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I fasted and prayed constantly before the God of heaven. So what was beautiful about this is that Nehemiah didn't have a a knee-jerk reaction. He literally stopped, and for four months he prayed and fasted, seeking the counsel of God, looking for God's timing and direction. Verse 5, and I said to the Lord, Lord, the great and terrible God who keeps covenant, loving kindness, and mercy for those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to listen to the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you day and night for the Israelites. Four months he prayed. Your servants confessing the sins of the Israelites which have sinned against you. Yes, I and my father's house have sinned. I thought this was beautiful how that Nehemiah just didn't put the blame on everybody else. He said, you know, I, I'm guilty. I'm just as guilty as they are. I'm guilty because... Because I'm in this place of comfort, and, and, um, and everything is good. And this is the way we are. Isn't that the way we are? As long as it's good for us, who cares about anybody else? But that's not the heart of God. And that wasn't the heart of Nehemiah. He said, we have acted very corruptly against you, not kept your commandments, statutes, ordinances, which you have commanded your servants. Verse 10. Now, these are your servants. I love this. Nehemiah says, God... These are your servants. These are your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, prayer of your servants who delight to revere and fear your name, your, your nature and attributes. And prosper, I pray you, your servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was a cup bearer to the king. And I got to thinking, you know, here's Nehemiah in this atmosphere of, of, of blessing and prosperity and peace and all and comfort. Everything is good. And, and, you know, we live in a nation, you know, that is really, again, in a, a dangerous uh, time in America's history. Uh, they say uh, a nation, the average lifespan of a nation is 200 years. Well, we've far exceeded that now. And this, but we are living in troubling days. And sometimes you look at the overwhelming mountain of problems and you think in your mind, what can I do about that? I mean, can I make an impact? Am I able, am I, and I mean, my life compared to the massive problem that is over there in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, what can I do? But I'm telling you, isn't it awesome that you and God together can do great things? You and God together can do great things. Now, the Bible says, for I was a cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer was simply a taste tester for the king. So that anybody would try to poison the king, uh, the cupbearer would eat and drink the, uh, uh, first and make sure everything was safe for the king. And he didn't get this position uh, you know, easily. It, it, it came through observing the lives of his people, the king's people, to make sure that they loved the king, they were loyal to the king, and they were subservient to the king. And obviously, uh, Nehemiah had, had, had developed er, er, uh, these qualities in his life so, so that he was qualified uh, for that position so that God could put him where he needed to be. It reminded me of what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Because you've been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over much. Je- uh, Nehemiah 2 verse 1. In the month of Nisan, which is April, four months later, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad before in his presence. So the king said to me, why do you look sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Watch this. Then I was very, very much afraid. Why? Because the cupbearer was never, ever to be anything but happy in front of the king. He was to always inspire and lift up the king and make him feel good. And here you have a cupbearer who's feeling the weight 
of this problem, the weight of the adversity and the heartache and the, and the hurting of his people, and he just could not hide it. Every week, oh, let me read this first before I say this. Verse three, but I replied, long live the king, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is ru and in, in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I, I wrote this down, I said, every week people enter churches nationwide across this land with their lives in shambles and leave with little resolve to their brokenness. Every week, people come to Faith Family Church with their members or guests with the weight of the world in their, on their shoulders, the weight of relational struggles, emotional struggles, financial struggles, physical struggles, and their countenance reflects it. And I said this years ago, and I mean this with all my heart, and I'm sad to even say it, I'm ashamed to say it, but it's just the way it was. When I was a young minister, I really didn't care about anybody but myself. You could come in here, you could be hurting, you could be, you, you could be crying, and it wouldn't even touch me. But I always tell people, when you, when you get saved, you bring your culture into your Christianity, or you bring your Christianity into your culture, and you respond to situations as it was carved and chiseled in you as a young person. And being in the, raised in the atmosphere I was raised in, I became very hardened at a young age. So here I am, pastoring your church, and I can't even, I can't even I'm not even like Jesus. I can't even feel your infirmities. I, I, I'm not touched by the feeling of your infirmities. Then in about the year 1999, I went through some major crisis in my life, and my heart was broken, and I became, at that very point, I became very empathetic and compassionate with the pains of others. It's what all of us should be. How many have ever hurt as a believer since you've been saved? You've hurt. Hurt inside. You hurt. See, we should, when other people are hurting, we should be the ones that are right there at that very second to minister to them, to love them, to build them up, to let them know everything's going to be okay. Because everything's going to be okay. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer. <laughs> I just love that. With a prayer. <laughs> oh, God, help me. <laughs> I'm sure Nehemiah said, okay, God, now you're next. Yeah, now this is you. Okay, with prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me. He didn't say send someone else. He didn't say send someone else. I know, see, when you come to church on Sunday mornings and you are hurting, you know, and you are hurting, especially if you're mature at all in your spiritual life, rise up and be the minister to someone so God can return a ministry back to you. You know, we don't always have to be babies. We don't have to be spiritually sucking the bottle, uh, feeling sorry for ourselves. When people around us are hurting, we should be able to rise up and say, hey, I'm hurting, but maybe they're hurting more. Let me, let me minister to them. Can I have an amen? See, I never know. Think about Liz and thinking about um, Michelle's mom and others who've uh, uh, been attacked with, with, uh, with cancer. Well, I've never, I've never, I've never felt that. I've never had somebody come to me and say, you have cancer. And I, don't, I can't even judge that. I, I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, uh, go through something like that. But we should be a church family. And sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes when people are hurting, we, you know, what do you say? Well, say something that you'd want said to you. Hey, I'm praying for you. I'm standing with you. You're going to make it through this. Praise God. You got the victory. Can I have an amen? amen? So important. 
He said, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him said, well, how long are you going to be gone? When, you, when will you going to return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. When I read that, I thought, I wonder how Nehemiah knew. How did Nehemiah answer that question? Well, I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. Is it possible he got it in prayer? You know, I think maybe, the Lord's been saying to me, it's only going to take a couple of months. <laughs> Amen. And so the Bible says, um, I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, watch this, and for a house for myself. <laughs> Could you throw on a few pieces of lumber for a house for myself? I just love this. Because, see, with vision comes provision. And when God gives you a vision, it's not only the provision for his will, but it's a provision for your life. He never leaves you out of the equation. He doesn't say to build this house and then say, well, why don't you live in a tent? God always thinks about you. I just love the courage of this man. He's got a vision. He wants to go help. And he goes right before the thing and says, I would like this and I would like this. And, oh, by the way, I'd sure like some lumber for a house for myself. Beautiful. Verse 10, when Sanballat, oh, here, here we go. Oh, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Verse 10, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. See, Israel has been dealing with anti-Semitism since they were birthed. Verse 11, so they arrived in Jerusalem three days later. Verse 13, after dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's wall, uh, well, over to, the king, uh, over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burnt gates. Then I went to the fountain gates and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. I mean, it was a mess. I mean, if a donkey can't get through the rubble, it's got to be a mess. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, record, it doesn't record in the Bible how long this span of time was between them living there in that disgusting, hopeless state and, the, and where, you know, that the walls were burnt down, the gates were burnt, the walls were torn down, but nothing happened until someone was willing to step forward and say, I'll be the one. Say this out loud, Lord, send me. Lord, send me. Amen. So important. He's got to have somebody to work through. After Nehemiah gathered the Jews together, he said this is verse 17. You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then, watch this. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God had uh, I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. See, he testified. He said, okay, let me tell you what happened. So he testified. See, outside these doors, there's a world that needs your testimony. They just need to know that God answers prayer because they don't believe he does. Okay, with a left hand, how many believe God answers your prayers? How many believe, I mean, how many here is God answered prayer? Absolutely, he answers our prayers. So you have a testimony. It's exactly what he did. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And they replied at once, yes, let's build. 
Let's, re- let's rebuild the wall so they began to, the good work. Watch this. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Uh, uh, and what, say, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. I replied, well, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall, but you'll have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. I'm just going to tell you this. We've been pastoring here for 38 years in just a couple of weeks. We'll be celebrating 38 years. And I didn't say this, but just this past March, we celebrated 25 years in this building. 25 years in this building. Is that awesome? The descendants of Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem are still in the earth today. The descendants. People who will attack what you're doing. And I'm, talking, and I'm not talking about the world. Listen, kids, when I go out to the community here, you can't imagine the businessmen and women and officials in the city hall that I go to that are so proud of what we have accomplished at Faith Family Church in the 38 years we've been here. The, the, the Tobias in, in the, in the uh, sand ballots and the Geshems are those within the body of Christ who actually try to slander and hinder God's people from repairing the spiritual walls of others. That's not what we want to become. Can I have an amen? Don't want that. Don't want that. All the years I've been pastoring, I've been always, and I'm, 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 I, I've been so very, very careful not to judge any other church in this community. And when I hear churches starting, I never feel intimidated. Do you know why? Because it is hard to start a church. And it's hard to maintain a church, it's hard to grow a church, and it's hard to keep a church. Why? Because you got hell coming against you. You got every spiritual force coming against your life when you're trying to build the spiritual foundation in people's lives. Now, mind you, I'm grateful. Whatever God calls you to do, he graces you for it. So God has graced us for this journey, but it isn't easy. It isn't easy. And there will be warfare. There will be sand ballots. There will be Geshems. There will be Tobias. But don't let them stop us. They're not going to stop us from progressing God's will in the earth. Can I have an amen? amen. The theme of this year's uh, uh, Global uh, Leadership Summit is everyone has influence. Every one of you do. Every one of you has godly influence. Every one of you do. If you're saved here today, if Christ is in the center of your life, you have godly influence for people. You have influence that will help them and give them hope, praise God, that, that there is a future ahead of us. I don't know. I don't know what the future of America holds. I'm concerned. I woke up night before last in the middle of the night just about hyperventilating, thinking about this weather, thinking about the farmers. Because uh, now you, you know, you city folk, I was a farm boy. You, you know, the city folk don't connect real well. But when the farmers are hurting, it affects every aspect of life. I'm just, now, we going to make it? Yeah, we trust God. But my heart hurts for them. My heart hurts for these farmers who have invested everything in their lives to put the, they go to the banks and borrow the lot of them to borrow money to, to put their crop in, to, to um, spread their fertilizer, to do everything they can to get a crop. And if they can't even get their seed in, it's going to make an impact on everything. So my heart goes out to the farmers. Influence. Let me give you the mission of the Global Summit this year. It's to inspire leadership to impact their family, church, 
and circle of influence, listen, igniting transformation. I love that, igniting transformation. So I'm gonna close here, I've shared enough, you've heard enough, and thank you for being attentive and staying attentive. But I'm gonna pray for you today. Because I really, I, 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 what can I say? You know what it's like? It's like, go, it's like going to a Holy Ghost meeting and trying to tell your friend the next day what it was about, but they weren't there. And then they say, well, I'll get the, I'll get the CD. They don't even have CDs anymore, do they? I mean, I'll, I'll get the CD. Well, no, it isn't the same. I said it isn't the same. And yes, you can go online and listen to all these great, great men and women of God teach on leadership. Yeah, but I'm telling you right, there will be a corporate anointing that will really make a difference in your life as a believer and, and in your life as a leader. And I'm telling you, we want to become the best leaders to our, uh, as men to our, to our uh, wives, as women to our husbands, to our children, uh, to our, our community, and to the workplace we're at, and in the local church. As I close, I, was, I wanted to use Noel. Noel is an example. Noel, he always comes every Sunday morning about 7.15. He brings the doorbell. I let him in. And uh, he loves to set up the chairs and get things ready, you know, downstairs. It's really a blessing. But when he first came to Faith Family Church, and I mean, I was ticked. I was absolutely angered. Because the first day he got here, he sat down there at a table. And not one person walked up to him. Not one. Not one person would walk up and say hi to him. And I'm standing on the rail observing this. I, it made me so angry because I don't care who comes through those doors. They deserve to be loved. They deserve to be valued and appreciated. I don't care who they are. I had two women come in here. And they were cross-dressers. One was dressed up... Uh, I think it was a guy dressed up like a gal and a gal dressed up like a guy. That's what it was. And uh, I mean, what do you do with people like that? You love them? I mean, so we had at that time, we had a little coffee thing at the end of the service downstairs in room one. Come down and greet, uh, you know, meet the pastors and greet the new people. We, I, I loved it. It was fun. So they came down. So I introduced myself uh, to the, them and we talked a little bit. So we sure appreciate you coming today. And they said, you know, we've never been treated like this in a church. Well, I said, I said, I said let, let me encourage you. You keep coming, and God will change your life. It'd be so wonderful if we had a church where everybody had it put together and everybody was just wonderful, but we're not that way. Every one of us are broken in some areas. But every one of us in here, most of you, have been healed in areas of your life where you can help others get healed. And so there's an investment. The wonderful thing about it, I think it's $89, isn't it, for a member, a church member to get involved, to, 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 to sign up for this, $89. Yes, and it's an investment. But I'm sorry, when things are free, people don't value them as much. So for the church members here, it's $1,000 a piece. And then, it'll, just, it's $89. And I know for some of you, that's a lot. In fact, I had a young brother come to me last week. He said, Pastor, can I pay weekly until it's paid? I, absolutely. I said, just mark it for the global and, and pay weekly, and, and it'll be, 
you'll have it done by the time it's, it's, it's here. So I really want to really encourage everyone. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock. We also have our midweek service every week on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.